You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. So, in our first ever non-July 1st, well, our non-day like first day of free agency pod, we've got some things to talk about. I, th- I feel like we've had time to kind of digest um, what's happened so far in free agency. Uh, today is July 5th when we're recording, so... You know, we've had some time to just analyze everything and just kind of see what teams are looking to do at free agency, what teams are adding, what teams are kind of staying put. And, you know, we're starting to see a couple of trends in it. You know, I think it'd be kind of fun to talk about today. Uh, today we got both of you guys, actually. And, uh, you know, since Anton's here, again, we got to talk about Columbus. Um, does Jarmo Kekalainen know that free agency started? As I said before, I argue that he made the moves that he wanted to before July 1st. But are we saying that his only move in free agency is to sign Adam Fentilli? Which, I mean, I think that's also kind of a signal, right? Like, that's kind of saying, like, they think Fentilli is ready to play in the NHL next season. Like, he's not going back to Michigan. Well, are you not counting Damon Severson? Are you not counting Provorov? Well, we're talking about free agency right now. We're not talking... Well, yeah, we're talking about free agency. Like, Severson, Provorov, those are kind of... Those are off-season moves. But, like, normally teams look to, like, make some further changes to the team through free agency, right? They look to make ads. And realistically, they haven't signed a single uh, player to, a like, a UFA contract, right? Like, they've only done Fentilli. Right. And, I mean, last year was different. It was... Gaudreau, it was uh, Branson. The year before that, I honestly couldn't tell you for the life of me who we signed. Like, look look in the history of, you know, UFA and Columbus. It's, like not, it's nothing, like, huge. And I think it's all secondary, tertiary moves, and I think he made those, again, prior to July 1st. I mean, if you look at the team right now seems like they're pretty set, right? Like there's no huge holes, you know, they have a little bit of cap space left about 4.7 million. And like on defense, they've got what eight guys signed. If you include the two guys in IR in Morensky and Bean. And then if you look in the forwards they have what 14 forwards and a lot of them are on cheaper contracts. Like realistically, this team probably is looking for a, you know, a third liner, maybe a fourth liner. And it doesn't it doesn't make sense to get into bidding wars for them, right? Like let's be honest here. There are any second liner can play in the third line, right? So why not just wait for the prices to come down a little bit more and get a better value for your buck? And we also have Texier coming back this season. He, you know, took a personal leave last year. He's back. He's, you know, I won't say he's going to be better or whatever, but at least, like, he's still 23. He still has, we don't know how good he'll be. He could be a second liner. He could be a third liner. I don't know. And we still have Sillinger. We still have uh, Johnson and Fantilli. You know, like, it's, I don't think we're in a rush to be like, hey, X person, third liner, second liner. Would you like, would you like another five million to what Ryan O'Reilly? Would you like to play for us? 
I don't think that that would fit one the timeline and B, it's like that doesn't make sense. Where the blue jackets are right now, does it not make more sense for them to kind of just wait a little with the cap space they have and see which team is in a cap crunch? And we'll talk about a couple in a bit, but which teams are in a cap crunch and pick up, you know, a prospect or pick up a draft pick to utilize that remaining, what, $4.75 million in cap space instead of signing a you know, third line into a one-year deal? Or keeping it for a deadline where, um, you know, let's just say it doesn't go well. You can use that as a uh, 50% flip, as many teams have done this season. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see, like, if you look at this team, it looks like it's basically ready for you know, opening night, like they've got basically, you know, they've got a full NHL team of guys and guys are all on NHL contracts. But my question would be though, like this is a team that is kind of like looking to contend for the playoffs. Like, is this a team that you're happy with as saying that they are a team that is going to be in the playoff bubble um, next season based on the, the players that they have right now under contract? You're asking for... I would say a lot if you're expecting like we don't have a number one C. I don't think either Cylinder or Johnson has been like, yes, this is you know, I am the one C. I I don't think either of them would be like, hey, Goudreau, Line, like, you know, I've we've meshed well, we've played well. Um I don't think either of them have that spot locked up. So you'd be like, hey, yeah, they're, they're a playoff. I don't think so. Maybe a fringe play in, like a Florida Panthers, like maybe we'll make it, or we just don't. But I don't see us being like, yeah, we will be a top three seed in the division. Yeah, I think, Ansa, I agree with you. Does this team's expectations, is it a successful season if they can be competitive for the playoff race? So, like, are we looking at, like, Flames of last year? Um, Well, no. I think the Flames of last year expected to be much better, right? They expected to be a cup contender. I would say um, kind of like the the Kings. I don't want to use the example, but I think that's a good example. Lots of young players, they need time to develop. If they get into the playoffs, that is good. That means the planet... The plan is going according to plan. If they don't make the playoffs, but are, you know, ten maybe tenth or eleventh in the conference, that's fine. And then obviously, if you know they're competing for the first draw pick, then yeah, it's been a bad year. Yeah, and I think last year wasn't fair to a lot of players. Like I've, I'm looking at it correctly. Last year, I think we lost the most uh, players to injuries. Rurinsky was out since, I don't know, a month and a half in the season. That's our number one defenseman. He was out. You can't really go that far without that. Like, he is a legitimate star defenseman. Um, and this year, we hopefully, uh, David Yurchek joins the lineup one way or another. So, you know, between him, Severson, Peak. Folk was like someone 
figure out the, the three spots in the lineup. I think that's not a fair, that's a fair like assessment to take. It's like, your check is going to be great, hopefully. It's going to be his first year. Let's just see how it goes. Because ELC-wise, it's like Cylinder, Ken Johnson, they're, this is the last year for ELCs. And it's going to be Bridge or I don't know what they're going to do. But after this year, a lot of money comes off the books as well. So, Okay. Maybe I just got the pulse wrong because I, I assume to me that you're bringing in Mike Babcock in as the new coach. I feel like maybe there's pressure on Yarmulkeka line. So, like, you know, this team was looked like it was on the upswing and then now they're back on the downswing. I, I, I just, in my opinion, it just looked like this was a team that was looking to be going right back into the playoff picture. And I, I just don't know in terms of this team, like, you would need a lot of things to click in your young players in order this, for us to con- probably consider this as a playoff team, I would say. So maybe I just got the pulse wrong since I'm not a Columbus fan. Um, Alston kind of mentioned earlier that um, this was a team that maybe could use their cap space to maybe uh, save a team that's in a cap crunch or maybe they've got a contract to try to get rid of. Um, I'm assuming one team has to get rid of a contract right now, and that's part of Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, we all know that you know you can go 10% above the cap at the during the off season, and obviously once the season starts, you need to be cap compliant. But the Leafs seem to you know not care about a cap ceiling; they're just going over the cap, and then probably when the season starts, they're going to make a move, and maybe Columbus is that team that they could dump a contract to. Um, what are your guys' thoughts right now on Toronto? Or I don't want to call it Toronto. I want to probably call it Brad Tree Living's spending spree. You know, it was weird, wasn't it? Like in the beginning of free agency, it was like, oh, they don't, they can't do it. They're up against the cap. And then within that same day, they were like, well, we just spent almost ten percent of the cap signing two players. Like that's me. Like the whole Jake Muzz thing. Like unfortunately, he's probably done. Right. Like that's that takes up five point. What, 5.5, 5.6 million? So that brings it down to he really, they really need to bring down another 3 million or so, right? Yeah, I, I think we're, we're assuming Muzzin is going to end up going to be um, LTIR. So I, we're assuming that they can go 5 million over the cap. But like right now, like they're over that cap hit that includes Muzzin being on LTIR, right? Like they're even over that. So the obvious candidate right now is Matt Murray and his um, contract of one more year and four point seven million ish left. He's got you know a modified no trade clause, so that probably makes it a little bit harder to trade. But also the fact that you know cap space is at a premium this season too. So uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to see what Toronto's doing. And I kind of I call it Brad Tree Living spending spree because this is also a hockey executive who's never worked for a team that didn't have a salary cap, right? He used to work for the Calgary Flames, who kind of had like kind of like an internal cap or like an owner that isn't as splashy with money. And then he also worked for the Arizona Coyotes. So we all know what that means when, in terms of uh, being allowed to spend uh, money. Well, yeah, this is an interesting conundrum, right? Because they're not going to get fair value for Matt Murray anymore. Fair value being a hard, uh, using that very loosely, right? Like, Every team knows, hey, they're in need for a cap crunch. And if you're the Leafs and you're a Leaf fan, you're like, well, you only need one team to blink. But then if you're a fan of any other team, you're like, 
well, you're going to take them to the cleaners because they have no choice. They are in trouble, right? Which leads us to the second logical outcome of how this all ends is through a buyout, right? Um, And this is where it gets really interesting because next year, we know the big core players have their contracts ending, right? That's Matthews, Nylander. um, And then they have a lot of money coming from the books, right? You have Brody, Klingberg, um, Matt Matt Murphy, keep him, right? And that's when they get a $2 million cap hit from this buyout, if they do a buyout in the second window. And then as because this came with Ottawa holding money back, they have to worry about their cap too. And it's a much smaller number, and I don't think it'll be an issue for the, cap, uh, for the Ottawa Sanders just because Ottawa doesn't care about the cap. They have their own internal cap. But I'm curious if they kind of make it harder for themselves next year to get rid of Matt Murray this year. Because remember, they are getting rid of money, right? Like, let's say they bring it down by north by four million to get rid of Matt Murray, whatever. They still need money to sign Ilya Samsonov, who's an RFA still. They still need their goalie for this year. So where's that money coming from? So this isn't just like a one-part thing. It's a multi-part connected conundrum that I don't know. What do you guys think is the most likely scenario? And don't forget, like, since July 1st, um, I'm pretty sure the core fours basically has a no-move clause. So you can't trade any one of the big guys to, well, anywhere without their permission. So Brad Trey Living, as a general manager of the Calgary Flames, already did this. And I asked if he's going to do this again. Uh, trade TJ Brody as bad as a move that would be do you think he can slash would trade him see I, I, I don't know if trading Brody is the way to go given like like we can also look at the signings that they've made in a little bit but um, in terms of what the most likely scenario right like I think Toronto is going to have to give up, you know, something in order to get rid of Matt Murray's contract. I don't think it's going to be a buyout. I think they recognize they are too tight to the cap if they have to re-sign Samsonov still. So I think they're going to have to try to lose that contract outright. They're probably going to be a team like, like Vegas almost, where some nights you're not even playing 20 skaters. You have like 19 guys on the ice just to help with your cap. Um, and then they'll try to side Samson off. And I mean, I think Brody's, yeah, he's got one year left. Yeah, maybe he's not worth $5 million, But I think that what if once you trade him, how are you going to, are you going to be able to replace him adequately enough with the cap savings you make with that trade? So I feel like the most likelihood is, uh, you know, uh, uh, Murray buyout, and maybe they look in the market of TJ Brody, but then they'll realize, okay, they're not getting the deals that they want, and they can't replace him anymore, so they end up just, you know, sucking it up for the season. What are the odds they do both? Because they're they're at... Yeah, right? So then you put Muzzin LTIR, and then you're... You move... You know, you move... Uh, 
sorry, his name escapes you right now, Brody, and you use that money to sign both a cheap defenseman, someone who's probably a bit older, you know, who's maybe having trouble finding a good market or just wants to play at home, and Samsonov. Because Samsonov's your big one right now. It, you can't run Wall as your starter for next season. That's just... I that's just not gonna work. I think Vegas has been like, oh yeah, we have four goalies. The Leafs don't have that luxury of these four goalies that they have. I don't think all of them are the same level as the Vegas uh, goalies. Yeah, like I I think that the ma- the main thing, like yes, they can do that, but I my assumption is that they're gonna sign Samson off to a bridge deal, like maybe four million. Like I don't think he's getting five. If you guys uh, maybe I'm wrong. Like based on the market right now, I don't think he's getting five million. Like four with probably his tops. Um and if you do trade Brody, I guess he's got some internal replacements. But I think I think the I think the Leafs they're gonna risk it, right? They're gonna be like, you know what? We're gonna go in a little bit higher above the cap. Come, you know, October 10th, maybe someone gets injured during preseason, they can put them on the um, IR, so then they can be below the cap and just kind of push the problem, you know, maybe a big player gets injured, so they have a little bit more cap space. And then, you know, that leads it by the end of the season that they'll be fine, even if they're over the cap type of thing. Like, that is my sense of Toronto itself, right? They're always, you know, just living on the edge, you know, ever since they got these, this core four that, they're going to be right up to the cap every single season. They got Brandon Pridham. He's going to find a way to help them, you know, just barely stay under and kind of just let things go as they will throughout the season. How long can they keep doing this? And what I mean by that is that just keep doing just like, ah, we'll just kick this problem down the road. Because every year it's like, oh, no, they can't do it. This is the last year they can do it. Last year they can do it. Last year you can do it. This year actually kind of has that feel like this is it. Like you have two of your big core four kind of having expiring deals this year. Like if you can't do it now, like I don't think you ever can. Am I am I overreacting to this? As long as Shanahan is poho, uh, this will keep going because. The minute that Cal Dubas said, yes, we will entertain trading one of our, you know, anyone, uh, the next minute he was shown the door. So hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. He was shown the door because it was a messy situation with his contract. It had nothing to do with, hey, we're willing to trade one of our core for. Remember, remember how Shannon had a, had a huge, like, minute by minute press conference with, with the media. <laughs> Yeah, they had a play-by-play. So, yeah, I'm jogging memory. It's not, nothing to do with the core four. I would argue this, it's a part of it, though. I think it was a combination of everything where Dubas is like, yeah, he's out. And Shanahan's like, no. I, I kind of agree with what's kind of happening. But, um, like, yeah, this is probably the final year. Like, Matthews probably resigns. I think all these fans are hoping. And then I think you're having kind of interesting situation because if I'm the Leafs, do I say, 
maybe Nylander is the one that goes, and then we resign Bertuzzi because maybe Bertuzzi gives you something else that Nylander doesn't give you. Um, you're going to see what the chemistry is like. Um, and then, you know, how if we were talking about trading Brody to open up cap space, maybe Nylander is the one that they woke up to trade for cap space to get that depth guy, that like, some depth players to kind of round out the roster. Like, I mean, like, if we talk about the signings that they've made, we've, we're seeing, like, a trend, right? They're looking to get, quote-unquote, tougher, but they're also looking to add offense. Um, they're trying to find, like, a balance of players, and I, I don't know if the four players or four or five players that they signed really helped them out with that. I don't know. That, that, I think this is kind of the question. Like, did these free agent signings make the Leafs more of a contender in their final year of possible contention, or are they still kind of the same? So, first off, I don't think you trade Nylander. I think he's got the best value contract out of all of them. Like, if you look at, you know, points per points per dollar or whatever, or dollar per points, he's got the best value. Like, I think if you trade someone, you probably try to trade Marner, which I know the Toronto market loves Marner, right? He, he is a... He's a player that is not afraid of the limelight when you look at the NHL players are. But you're not trading Matthews. That's out of the question. You're not going to get a good value for Tavares. At this point, you're probably getting negative value, right? You're probably taking on more than whatever. And you're not going to get the value you need for for them with the 6.9 or whatever, 6 point whatever that that uh, Neander's making. Like think of think of the contracts that are being handed out. Think of what think of what Kalorn is getting, and you're telling me you'd rather have, you know, Neander or Kalorn, right? So if you look at that from that angle, I don't think you try to trade him at all. You probably try to keep him. You don't make him available for trade. And yeah, I think we'll talk about the signings in a sec. But that it doesn't make sense to me to trade uh, Neander, Anson. Do you agree with me or am I off the rails? Okay, but here's the thing, though. It's like you saw how good Matthew Nyers was last, well, I guess, postseason. Do you, let's just, in theory, go, hey, Nylander, he wants 10+. plus. He saw what Dubois got. It was like, I want more. So do you want to be like, hey, goodbye, Nylander. Hello, Matthew Nyers. Well, my thinking is more like, if Nylander isn't a guy you're going to resign, you don't want to just let him walk to UFA. You trade for him for something now. Like I get that he's more valuable in terms of a contract, but in terms of asset management, he's probably going to get you more in the trade market. Plus, you know, you either let him walk as a UFA versus have him as a one-year rental. I feel like you would rather try to get assets for him. So that that's why I'm suggesting trading Nylander. But I, I know it's probably not the greatest thing but i'm also like hey if pertuzzi works out and you sign him to you know a long-term contract like is he now kind of your Nylander replacement is now he part of the core four like i don't know i'll just kind of spitball in there so if you trade away marner though you would have the money to sign Nylander. uh you you would but i'm also saying like yeah if you trade away Nylander, you have the room to sign pertuzzi right and like, if you trade away me, like, yeah, it, it, I think it's a difficult question. And I, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see how these new signings kind of fit with the core four. Um, 
I find the Ryan Reeves signing was kind of out of the blue, given it was leaked quite early. And I don't know, it seems like a tad bit much money for a guy to sign that. Well, the fact that he signed July 1st, I think was a little bit interesting too. So this team definitely wants to get tougher, right? But does does anyone get the vibe, like the comparable that in my head I had for this uh, for this uh, Ryan Reeves signing? It was Rich Clune. Bit older, you know, good leader, locker room guy. Um, could be good for the young guys. A bit of a, you know, fighter. Like, that's the name I came up with. And I was like, hmm. So I actually don't hate the deal as much as people hate it because they're like, oh, it's 1.3 million for a guy like that. This Remember, this is the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Like, it doesn't really matter how much money they spend. It has the only only financial barrier that this team has is the salary cap, right? Like, just making Barry run Reed's contract. And I'm sure that's what they're planning on for like the last year or whatever. Like, this isn't as bad as the contract people make it out to be, is it? Or am I, like, off somewhere here? Well, I agree with you. I think it's fine, to be honest with you. Reeves, like, you saw what happened in the postseason. And unless they have a significant drop-off, I think the Leafs are going to make the playoffs this year. Um, And they struggled a lot against the Panthers, where Sam Bennett, uh, Gudis, Kachuk, they just bully the guys post whistle and everything. You kind of need a guy who goes, no, you can't do that. You really can't. And I think Reeves is the perfect guy to do that. And you're saying, oh, no, you don't want to pay that for uh, Reeves. Let me turn your attention to the team called New York Islanders. And they have a few guys called Casey Sizikis, Cal Clarebuck, Matt Martin, Ross Johnson. And they are collectively making... I would say, I don't know, $6 million plus. Okay, but how did the New York Islanders do last season? Right? Like, the New York Islanders were not... They're okay. Right? Like, unless I'm, unless I'm forgetting it, but I don't think the Islanders did that great last season. Yeah, they, they barely made the playoffs. And yeah, I guess, yeah, the Panthers barely made the playoffs too, but I, I don't think it's overly, you know, important that you have a bunch of goods. I think you might have a bit more value in the regular season where you like you don't go into the you don't go into the playoffs just absolutely just beat up because teams have just been pushing your players around. Like and that and the value's there. And it's also nice to just, you know, if you're Matthews, know that, hey, worst case scenario, if you get into a you know a little disagreement or whatever, you've got I would say probably the best fighter in the league on your side to just remind the young players and, you know, protect them a little bit. And yeah, he's like a locker room guy, but it's not as bad as people make it out to be. And I think a lot of it came down to, it was like the first signing for the Canadian team. So it's, it's overanalyzed the crap out of this. That's where it comes from. I don't think, I don't think it actually is that bad of a signing. It's just more of a, a, Ooh, we need them. You know, the, we have nothing else to talk about. What the hell else are we going to talk about? Type of situation. Three years is like the. I think teams offered him two, and he was like, "If you make it three, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll leave. I'll uproot Minnesota, and I'll come to Toronto." Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe people also saw it as a redundancy, given that they had just also signed Wayne Simmons. So maybe that's why. And I, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of weird because it feels like Toronto is making kind of the same signings that they did before. Like if you look at this John Klingberg signing, which I think get, maybe you guys can prove me wrong, but I think all of us were surprised that he signed with the Leafs. But it felt like the Leafs just recently had an offensive-minded right-handed defenseman that couldn't play defense, and that was Tyson Berry. And now they're going back with that same experiment. Um, kind of like, yes, we couldn't score against the Panthers, so let's overreact and bring an offensive specialist, even though we tried that with Tyson Berry recently. Like, Do you like the Klingberg um, signing? Was that kind of like something that also like really surprised you? Like At this point, like... Klingberg is just a power play specialist, right? Like at this point, when I think of Klingberg, I just he's a meme to me in the sense that terrible contract management should have fired his agent because he looks for a big multi-year deal, doesn't get it, and then decides to go to Anaheim for seven million for one year. Like, what did you think was going to happen? And it flops. And now he, instead of getting a multi-year, let's say a six by six or whatever, he's getting a $4 million deal and a $7 million deal. And it's not like, he's not particularly good at this point, right? He's just a power play, you know, quarterback. And if you're Toronto, you kind of have to adjust your game around him. Like of all players, that's not who I'd adjust my game around. You know, you'd have to adjust your power play and move... Morgan Riley to what second power play unit, so you can have your power play specialist play first power play. Like he's a he's a defensive liability. Like I think every metric will say that, right? Not useful defensively. Like when he's on there, you basically have four forwards, and this is a team that is going to be running a goalie tandem of Wool and probably Samsonov. <laughs> This does not inspire much confidence to me if I was a Leaf fan. Yeah, no, for sure. I think definitely a weird signing. And yeah, I mean, Riley played PP2 when Barry was here, and he actually did do too bad. Probably not great if you're a fantasy uh, hockey and wanting, you know, a number one defenseman like Riley, you would hope he'd be on PP1. But I mean, all these things can work out. I mean, as the Leafs, they're kind of trying to contend and. You know, they're, they're kind of one of the few teams that, you know, had cap space as a contender because they had a couple of free agents leaving. But there were quite a few contenders, too, that were, weren't were able to make these type of deals and sign a Bertuzzi or sign a Klingberg. Like, I know Boston was one of the big teams that was looking to sign with Bertuzzi. Um, I think that's why they kind of bought up Mike Riley. They're trying to, like, look at trades, maybe even move, like, a guy like Matt Grizzly. But they ended up being quite a few contend, uh, one of the few contending teams that, um, just couldn't bring in anyone over a million dollars. But part of it was because of last year, though, where they, I don't know, they gave a bunch of guys a bonus-laden contracts, and they basically hit every single bonus, so they lost a chunk of the cap for this season. And I will say again, if if the Bruins won the Cup last year, based on their historical season, I don't think it matters. 
Yeah, no, I think it does. But it's interesting to see, like, I mean, I don't know if they're cup chasing. And, like, obviously, all these guys are primarily depth guys. Like, um, you know, they're not players that you think are going to be playing for or top six minutes or, you know, top pairing defensemen. But, like, these, all these, like, there's four teams in particular that kind of had the mentality, okay, we're going to sign one guy, one, like, a third-line guy for, you know, a decent amount of money, you know, $2 million, $3 million, and then everyone else is getting minimum contracts. It's almost like the NBA, right? Like, like if you look at the Phoenix Suns, right? They've got four guys making, you know, a hundred something million dollars, and then they just ended up filling the rest of their roster with guys on minimum contract and guys who are just going to play deaths, but, you know, are we kind of a supporting cast? And I think it's, it's interesting to see because normally you, teams are looking to add a little quality depth pieces but when you're so strapped there's when you're so close to the cap like you end up just having to give people you know 775 775 i mean but as a result of that you've got some really interesting t- contracts and, and we'll be talking about it in a bit i'm gonna give a little teaser there we'll chat about that in a second but you get some really interesting contracts because of circumstances that are, are not money related yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, like if we look at the Bruins, for example, right? The one guy that got like a substantial contract that you can't bury was a Morgan Geeky, who, you know, young center who probably shouldn't have made it to UFA. I feel like he's probably should have been qualified by Seattle, but, you know, I think he's a quality, you know, depth, defend, uh, depth, depth center and, you know, probably should provide value to the team. But yeah, you look at the rest of the team, everyone's kind of on like, little small contracts one year two year deals and i feel like if you look at tampa bay right they're like yeah if you want to sign with us we can give we can't give you a lot of money but we can give you two years and a chance to qual- like you know get some quality playoff hockey in so that's how you see them sign guys like luke glendening and josh archibald like i don't know like especially since the cap hasn't been moving we're seeing a lot of these like nice little depth deals and you know guys that you would think would be signing for a lot of money and just end up signing for very little so I, I don't know like i don't know what the kings right and you know the habs were kind of in different spots but you know the main contenders like the boston's the colorado's the tampa's the new york's like they're kind of teams that you know just don't have that money to spend but they want to compete and they just kind of self just on the fact that hey you're going to be on a team that could potentially win the cup and you know it's not a lot of money but you know it's the cup you can win it Okay, so I know Olsen, you're kind of teased a little bit um, about uh, a contract that you, I don't know, we kind of were saying, like, let's talk about one contract that we really like and one contract that kind of really surprised us. Um, did you, you were teasing it earlier, Olsen, did you want to go with the one that you really like or the one that surprised you? You know what? I, for one, was a little prepared to actually have three of each. But I will start with the one I really liked. And I think this one is super under the radar. And I'm going to be surprised if my co-hosts are like, I really like this deal as well. I really like the Tampa Bay Lightning signing Calvin DeHaan to a a one-year 775 minimum deal. I want to ask my co-host before I continue. Was that one that you you thought that I was going to go with? 
No, because I thought you'd say something about an LAK. So, no. There you go. Yeah, see, I've got variety here. So, 775, so minimum deal. So, of course, variable. Um, but Calvin DeHaan, probably a third pairing guy. 12 points in 53 games. He hasn't, he's had played 82 games since 2016, 2017. So, he's probably not going to play the full season. But a guy who can play both the left and the right. And just a steady defenseman that gets the job done, right? Like if you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're spending a lot of money on the top of their defense, right? 8.5 for Sorgachevs, 7.875 for Hedman, 5.2 for Chernak. You need guys like this who can play both sides as needed. So when injuries come... You can always slot them in for the other side. And just a good, cheap, under-the-radar signing. Like, his advanced stats last season, great. Like, his course he was great. And I'd say his expectation of what you need from him, great. You won't be needed to do too much. Don't Won't have to play special teams. 775, he probably... Most other teams, I would expect, at like how the market's gone, they would have probably needed one, one to two million dollars for a play like that. Yeah, I think the Han's an interesting signing. I think he's probably got slotted into this depth role type of um, position kind of early. I think he ended up being on a couple of like decent teams where he probably could play bottom six minutes like fairly easily and you know be fine, but kind of start getting thrown into this depth role. So, yeah, no, it's not a bad signing. I mean, like, he might be like a diamond, not a diamond dozen, but, like, not like a, you know, a rare player that you could sign for 775, but, you know, still pretty good signing by Tampa. Um, Anton, were you prepared uh, as much as uh, Alston there? I don't have three, but I have a couple of each. Um if you like to Dahan, so I go with a. I kind of like this as a overall. I like Luke Shen's deal. Um, I agree. Long term, it's going to be like, oh, it's overpay. I think it's 2.75 over and for three years. Um, but you see him what he could do uh, I don't know, as a stay at home defenseman and how much he was getting paid the last few years. So now that he's getting a big payday, I'm happy for him. And I don't know, if you put him against, I don't know, with Yossi, stay on home defenseman, and Yossi, I think that could work out pretty well. And it's very Trotz's team. So like knowing him, the Preds are going to make like the finals somehow this year with this squad. Can we talk about what the heck the National Predators are going to do are doing right now? Right? Like they got rid of Duchesne, they got rid of Johansson, and you're like, oh, I guess they're tearing it down. That's fine. That makes sense. I guess the next person to go will be probably like a UC Soros. Or maybe you'd probably try to get rid of Ryan McDonough. You know, like I get it. This team probably ran its course. It's fine. That's why they also have like three second round picks next year. But then they go out and be like, well, let's just spend $18 million on Ryan O'Reilly. Like, 
what where is this team? I'm guessing they're trying to compete, but they also don't look like they're trying to compete. He went to the school of uh Lou Lamarillo where the team's good enough to make the playoffs, probably, and they'll figure out from there. Yeah, like it looked like they're going in a certain direction and then I, I it I guess it turned into more of like they weren't looking to like rebuild or retool, but they're more like looking for I guess a culture change, I would maybe call it. And they wanted to keep the guys that they thought, you know, were contributing to, you know, positive locker room. And they brought in other guys that, you know, they thought would also help. So, you know, the Luke Shins of the world, the Ryan O'Reilly's of the world. I think um, they thought those were guys that, you know, would help this, um, you know, team. And, you know, maybe that's why they did those moves. So if you're Barry Trotz this year, what, how well do you have to do to make this be considered a successful season? Wouldn't you say like making the playoffs, I think would be a big step forward. Like, I don't think they're going to be like, yeah, like our, what we consider successful is like, you know, winning, like, you know, like minimum level of success, I think is making the playoffs and being competitive in their first round is my, is my assumption. So this team is a, I would say, if I understand this correctly, this would be like a and above the Blue Jackets. The expectations are a little higher, but they're not the expectations of a full-blown contender yet either. I'd say they're on par, but last year, my assumption, my assumptions for the Blue Jackets is higher than, I guess, what Anson has for the Blue Jackets. But yeah, like I would say yeah, a little bit higher than what the Blue Jackets are aiming for. Okay, that... That's something. I will say that I don't know if I agree with that completely with that team, how that team's built. But I respect your opinion, Jeffrey. Um, Let's bring it back to where we're going at. Jeffrey, who is your super amazing signing for this offseason? Well, I I had a couple. Um, My honorable mentions, because I had four. I'm going to say my honorable mentions were JVR with Boston, uh, one times one, which seems like he is going to massively get massive value better than that contract. Um, Connor Brown, who decided to sign a minimum contract because after his injury, they're not sure what he's going to be like, but going to Edmonton, playing with his old buddy, Connor McDavid, that could be a little bit scary. And, um, even Max Pacioretty getting two times two with Washington, you know, that's uh, another scary move. But the contract I actually love most is the one a guy you mentioned earlier, Matt Duchesne, signing for $3 million with the Dallas Stars. Um, he's going to not be asked to play, you know, top line minutes because Dallas has got, you know, a pretty set top line. But, like... He's going to be playing the middle six with guys like Jamie Benn, White Johnson, Tyler Sagan, Mason Marchman. Like now, when you look at this forward group on in Dallas, like that's a very deep forward group. Um, defense not looking great, but if you're Matt Shane for one year, three million dollars, um, I'd say if you're Dallas, you're happy to get a guy who can put up you know 50, 60 points for you. Um, and obviously, you know he's able to sign a little bit cheaper because he's. Still getting money from Nashville from his bio, but you know that's kind of a quite a good deal for you know Dallas. Oh yeah, for sure, I agree. Like, uh, it's definitely the one of the underrated signings, just because of how Dallas is probably 
not in the natural spotlight as often. But if you look at that team right now, like on the forwards, like you mentioned, absolutely gross. Like if you look at Cap Friendly, their third line is probably Mason Marchment, Matt Duchesne, and Tyler Sagan, apparently. Um, and that's a absolutely wild third line. Defense, yeah, a little, little shaky. But when you have Jake Onger back there, you can spend a little less on defense with the expectation that he can kind of carry the load a little bit better, right? So I'm okay with that idea um, of having maybe a weaker defense because this team can score. And I think if you can win 9-8, you still win 9-8. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, well, we went through those uh, favorite contracts. What, what were the contracts that surprised you the most? Like, what was the one that you are like, Hmm, that is uh wow. Let's start with uh Anson there. What was your contract that kind of surprised you the most this free agency? I have a few. Um if we're doing honorable mentions, uh I guess Miles Wood, Jonathan Druin to an extent. Um I think the one I go, huh, is uh I'm drawing a blank already, but it was, it was the oh here we go Pierre Engvall for Lou Lamarillo, seven years, three million AAV. It's a I guess, but set, I think Lou just likes long term uh, long term contracts, and that uh, um this takes Lou to his age. 87 season. Um, I don't know. Like, do you, I don't know. Giving Pierre Engvall a seven year contract is kind of like here, bottom six forward, figure it out. I, it's very like, I don't hate it because of the, because of how much uh, it is, but I don't love it because of how long it is. Well, that's the trade off you needed, right? He's not signing for three mil f- for three years. Right, like he has to take extra term and get that get that conflict security on there to ensure that he signs that long. And I think part of the reason it comes down to is they only have like three hundred and eighty seven thousand in cap space after the signing. They couldn't have done a three year four and a half million dollar or four point two whatever it'd be, because then you'd end up having no cap space. Like it was more of a like a necessity thing to have out to if you want to keep him, and I'm not going to argue about whether or not it was a good idea to keep him. I mean, that's a different story. I don't know if I want to wade into that argument, but if they want to keep him, and I guess they had they wanted to, that's the cost it had to be. Not saying it's a good or a bad signing. I think it's you know too much money, sorry, too much term, and it's not worth the savings. I think you probably should have traded him, but that's a different story again. Yeah, and I think like you mentioned earlier, right? Like this Casey Sezekis, the Cal Clutterbucks of the world, like getting those like long term deals that we never thought. Like even like putting Miles Woods into this conversation, right? Who would think that two of the longest free agency contracts this offseason were going to go to guys that you would think would be third liners. I mean Engvall kind of played top line I think with Barzell. 
um, when he got there in that trade at the trade deadline. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's not a guy that you think would get seven years and also get a modified no trade clause. But you know, that's kind of the way that it is this in the NHL now. You know, even guys playing third, fourth line rules are gonna get random like modified no trade clauses just because. Players want that control, and if a team is willing to offer that, you know, you know, and if it costs them a little bit less or a little bit less term, yeah. But I don't know. It is definitely surprising. I think part of the entire Islanders business, this free agency, has kind of been crazy and a little bit surprising. Uh, also, who was your uh, surprise free agency signing this uh, offseason? I'm going to cheat, and it's going to be two players. But let me explain why it's two players. It's the combination of Alex Kalorn and Radko Gudis for the Anaheim Ducks. This team that is probably rebuilding still. This is a team that has an internal cap. This team is young and you go out and sign Alex Kalorn to be a highest paid forward at 6.25 for four years. And then you go sign Radko Gudis to be your second highest paid defenseman at Four million for three years. Kalorn is thirty-three and will be thirty-seven by the end of this contract. Gudis is thirty-three and will be thirty-six by the end of this contract. And this isn't a situation where they're like, "Oh, we're just going to pay them like super low cash this year, and then at last year we're just going to trade them off or whatever." And that team has to pay a, a lot of cash. This is consistent every year: six point two five in cash, and then four million for Gudis in cash every year. And then you go, well, the plan is probably to like trade them for the last season. Kalorn has a no trade clause that's full all 30, 31 other teams in the next in the first two years. And the last two years, it's 15 teams, so half the league. And then if you look at Gudis, it's 16 teams the first uh sorry, full trade clause for full no trade clause the first year, 16, so half the league in the second year, and 10 team in the last year. You are limiting yourself and your trade partners for the last years if you're trying to get rid of them at 36 and 37. They're the highest played pairs, players on your team. Why? I think Pat Verbeek is kind of a guy. He's kind of like a Stevie Y in the sense that he marches to the beat of his own drum. He does not care what other people think. I, my, my guess is that he's looking to build some sort of you know, some bringing veterans that, you know, can help this really, really young core, like, understand what it means to be, you know, NHL guys, like, trying to toughen them up, you know, protect them on the ice, obviously, but also off the ice, trying to show them, you know, what it means to be, you know, an NHL player. And I think in Kalorn, you get a guy who has never been the star, but has that championship experience with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you get Gudas, who probably one of the hardest guys to play against. Also former Tampa Bay Lightning, but also he probably his price probably went up quite a bit, um, given the fact that the Panthers made it all the way to, all the way to the finals. But I, I think Pat Verbeek is just kind of like I want guys that are gonna you know be you know I don't know like like complimentary guys to my top players and. Yes, I'm going to be spending a lot of money um, out there. Maybe I'm not going to be able to trade them, but, you know, we're probably not going to be a contending team until after those guys retire or leave the team. So maybe it's okay to give them this much money now. 
So if I understand you correctly, you're suggesting that it's for the vibes. And I don't know if for a team that has an internal cap, which consistently is near bottom of the league in payroll, should be spending over $10 million for the vibes. Well, I mean, if you look at this team, though, like who else are they going to be spending that much money on? I mean, they've got signed Troy Terry Zegers to contracts as well. But um, the way I see this team, though, it's like they're probably a, quite a far away from actually contending. Like, it, it kind of almost sets the precedent that like, like they're telling the rest of the league, okay, we are not looking to contend in the next four years. We are going to contend year five once those contracts are off our books and you know we have a new core, they're all going to be signed to good contracts and we can really start competing. Um, I think if you look at the way Anaheim played this season, though, like they look like a team that often just gave up. Like they're down one goal, even just two goals. They're like, you know what, we can't win anymore. We give up. And I think like guys like Cologne and Kudas are gonna keep these players honest and be like, hey, like yes, we're down. Yes, we might not be the most talented team, but we need to still work hard. And I think that's the Pat Verbeek mindset. And I think that's his aim. Whether it translate on the ice. Who knows? But I think in his mind and in his front office's mind, like that's the way they want to build this team. I think that's why you bring a guy in like Ryan Reeves at one point three million. But to each their own. Anson, what's your? Uh, sorry, not Anson. Jeffrey, who is your? Oh, what is going on? Pick who? Oh, sorry. Which player got the most money? Like most, not the highest cap hit, but the highest. Um, overall, what like I don't know, it's okay. who got the most money, like guaranteed money, this free agency? Who signed the largest contract? Sorokin, no. That was an extension, not a free agency contract. Honestly, could not tell you. I might need a hint before I can answer that question. He is a defenseman. It's not Orlov, is it? <laughs> I think Orlov signed the highest AAV, but he didn't sign the largest. contract contract it was actually quite close um this team signed two players to contracts with overall values of over 25 million dollars so I'm, I'm cheating right now i'm on cat friendly i'll be i'll be the first one to tell you i'm, I'm on cat friendly ryan graves yeah i don't know how we just listened to also say he's on cat friendly and yet anson gets the right answer twice in a row before also i'm looking i'm looking i'm looking yeah, but it is Ryan Graves somehow got the largest contract um, this free agency. I mean, it could still be beaten. Like, you know, free agency is still quite young. It's only day five going to day six. But I think that's kind of surprising because Ryan Graves, I mean, I'd say he's a good player. Um, played well with the Avs. Was kind of an unfortunate cap dump to the Devils. And then played well with the Devils kind of in a, I don't know, it was a shutdown rule, but kind of like in a balanced defensive lineup with you know three fairly decent pairings now he gets six times 4.5 with pittsburgh penguins who had a lot of cap space to splash and i was just kind of surprised like he was the guy that was going to get paid the most as of this moment i mean i think a lot of people thought orloff was probably going to get the most money but he decided to you know sign a short-term but high aav deal to maximize his earnings when he gets hit free agency again in two years but yeah it's kind of surprising that Ryan Graves got the biggest contract so far this offseason. 
for this free agency because Sorokin technically got the largest contract, but his was an extension. So I don't watch a lot of New Jersey Devils hockey. What is the value in a player like Ryan Graves? I think he's like I would, would call him a defensive defenseman. Like you don't really count on him as like a guy to like lead your power play, or he's not like defenseman that you have when you know you're down a goal and it's an empty net. But he's a guy who defends well in his own end. Yet he's still like capable of moving the puck. So he's not like a Roman Polak where if you send the puck to him and he won't get the puck out. Like he can still get the puck out, but he can defend like a Roman Polak. Like he's a big guy, long stick, skate, skates fairly well for his size. Like I, I think that's kind of the, you know, the why he's such a, you know, a player that people would want on his team. And, you know, for a team like Pittsburgh that has quite a few guys on the right-hand side, like uh, Crystal Tang and Jet Petrie, you know, it's that left side that's been lacking. Dumoulin kind of fell off a little bit this season, and they need to strengthen that left side. So bringing a guy like Ryan Graves, playing with a Crystal Tang, that could be a fairly good pair, like like a top pair that you could probably put out 25, 26 minutes a night and be okay with. So that that's, I think, what people see in Ryan Graves. And I don't think you can look at that term as like a, oh no, whatever. I think it's kind of like a, you have two more years of Crosby, Malkin, Matang. Um, was it six years for Graves? You know the years, maybe four, five and six are going to be bad. It doesn't matter if you get another cup with your core. So, you know, as, as much as like, oh, it sucks. You kind of had to do it if you're Dubas. You're like, I want this guy in four years, five years from now. Crosby retires, Malkin retires, uh, Latang retires. It's going to be all crap anyways. Who cares? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, you know, who knows by like year, four years from now, like the cap's going to go up. Like maybe 4.5 is the price for, to get a 3-4 defenseman, right? So maybe it's okay in the end. And he's he's on the younger side of the free agent market, right? Like he's 28 right now. So like he's still like right in his prime. So maybe he won't tail off as much, but you know, it, it, the, the, the numbers don't look good for anyone who goes past 30. So question for my two other co-hosts. I'll participate in this exercise as well. With the players you've selected in your what's going on pick, what year do you think that team's front office will regret making those signings. I, I think for me and Pittsburgh, um, I'm going to say it's going to be... Well, the way Anton was going to say it, like, they might not even regret it because like, in years time, maybe they're not contending anymore. Like Maybe Crosby, Malkin, they're all off the team. So I, I'm, I'm going to say... Let, let's... I think year four probably is my guess because... That's when he's 32, and that's when, like, that's when the fall-off you really see happen, if there is going to be a fall-off. So I'm going to say a year four. So that would be, what, 2026, 2027, or 2027, 2028? Kind of in that range. I don't think uh, Islanders will ever regret this, as long as Lou Emeril is still the general manager. He okay, that's because I... they're not allowed to regret it, or because they genuinely don't regret it? It's a mixture of both, I would say. 
because as long as he is uh you know he is still in control it doesn't matter i i don't think lou's gonna be around you know the league when his contract's over right? i'm sure he probably wants to spend some time with his family or whatever so i guess my answer would be when lou retires but if he oh, doesn't then not that's fair. No, I think for mine at least, I think this year will be okay, and then next year start when team when it starts being like an impact to the team, and then that's when you have fans go, why, why, why did we do this? This makes no sense. That's my estimation. But okay, that's a that's some interesting answers. Honestly, I would I would have expected some years, but I got. Very thoughtful answers from my co-host instead, and I appreciate that. All right. Well, that, I guess, kind of wraps up our, you know, free agency special that's not on July 1st for the first time or on free agency day one. Um, do my co-hosts have any final thoughts for this episode or in general? Um, the Kings are winning the Cup, and Matt Murray and another and another player are being traded to free up cap space. I think he gets bought out and Matt Murray, sorry, Matt Murray gets bought out another player gets traded and just because it's spicy, that other player is Mitch Barner. Why don't you say John Tavares or Austin Matthews? One for one, Matthews for McDavid. Who, who says no? <laughs> <laughs> Gary Bettman. Why? Think of all the jersey sales they would have. Because then you have Matthew, well, actually, you have Matthew and Drysaddle, who both just scores like, you know, no. That's way. not that's not Gary Bettman's problem. You know how uh, the NBA vetoed Chris Paul trade. Okay, but that's because like that trade was like too lopsided or whatever. Like it's a it's the best player in the world versus arguably the second best player in the world. I don't get like semantics of like who is the second best, but everyone knows Matthews is like up there. So it's not like it's being like. It's not like it's you know, adding fifteen players to to add to get the cap to money to work. Like you're not doing like a David Camp for Connor McDavid. Yeah, you're not adding like getting the money to work by being like here's like just like ten players whose money just happens to add up or something. Like it's not that. It's I mean like it's not ridiculous. I'm just you know sure. Despite the new spices, Marta gets traded for cap space. Murray gets bought out, and McDavid gets traded for Matthews. And those are my final thoughts. The trade is one for one, as yes. they say. Yes, one for one. And you don't have to leave throwing there first. Because apparently, if not, Batman will, will veto the trade. Matthews in a first for, for, uh, for McDavid. I can't top that, so... <laughs> Alright, well, me neither. So that's the end of our pod. If that trade actually happens, I'm retiring from the pod because I can't top that dude. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys in two weeks' time or maybe when anything else exciting happens in the offseason. We're kind of on offseason mode, so the episodes might not be coming out fast and furious, but, you know, we just popped up. We're in vibes mode. You'll catch me. You'll catch me with my sunglasses on. Yes. All right. We'll talk to you guys. Maybe in two weeks, maybe in one week. Who knows? Matthews for Matthew for McDavid.
Thanks for listening to the Bag Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.